Hey, I'm Dawn Tree. Welcome to Atypical Parenting, the podcast for people who love someone who's autistic. I believe that it is high time that we as parents and loved ones started focusing on ourselves and how we can change as we strive to support the people that we love. I am so glad you're here with me. Together, we're taking the steps necessary to change the way the world looks at autism. Please don't forget to take a second to rate and review Atypical Parenting wherever you're listening. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. My guest today is Mark Sheverton, physicist and internationally published New York Times bestselling author who's written 28 books in total. Mark's first major series was based on the game of Minecraft, and it was dedicated to his son as a means of helping him process the stress after he was cyberbullied. In Mark's newest book, Facing the Beast Within, he aims to help kids with anxiety to know that they're not alone, as well as to help parents to gain an understanding of what their anxious children are going through. These books are amazing and so easy to read, and the kids just love them. So please join me in listening to this amazing interview I did with Mark Sheverton. Hey, Mark Sheverton, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. I'm so glad you're here. I'm glad to be here. Mark Sheverton, I gave you the intro in the beginning so you all know all of his credentials, but I kind of want to hear a little bit of your backstory, Mark. Sure. So I was a high school teacher for 15 years. I went to school and studied physics and got a master's degree in physics and taught high school for 15 years in California, Maryland, and in finally New York. I followed my wife around the country. And after 15 years, I left teaching and I went into industry and I worked as a physicist for General Electric. And I did that for another 15 years. It seems like I changed jobs every 15 years. I don't know why. You need to shake it up a little. Yeah. While I was working at GE, I decided I wanted to write a book and I started trying to write books for kids. I don't know what motivated me to do this because I have no experience in writing books as evidenced by the first four books I wrote that they were terrible. And I tried to get them published and it was kind of funny. My son at the time was learning how to graph in school. And so he was going to graph all of my rejections that I got (laughs) for the first book. And it ended up, I said, we can't be disappointed until we reach 100 rejections, because I thought this was the best book in the world. And it got 253 rejections. Oh, dear. And that's when we stopped counting. And I said, okay, maybe that book's not going to work. I wrote three more books. Those were just as equally terrible, though I learned a lot from writing all of them. And at the end, I thought maybe all the people who said no to me, maybe they were right. Maybe I'm a physicist. I'm not an author. And then my son, who became obsessed with Minecraft, was cyberbullied while he was playing the game. And some kids came onto his server that he had and destroyed everything he made, made a video of it, said terrible, vulgar things about him while they were destroying his stuff and posted it on YouTube. Oh, that's terrible. And then, of course, sent him a link. How thoughtful. Oh. And... They would come back and do it again and again and again until we just shut down this server. And he was really upset. And he said, Dad, what did I do to those boys to make them treat me like this? I thought I was nice to them. What did I do? And I learned later victims of bullying frequently think it's their fault that they were bullied. And so I tried to convince him it wasn't his fault and he couldn't get it. 
So I decided I'm going to write another book to teach him why this wasn't his fault, to teach him what kind of person would do this, and I'm going to set it in Minecraft because he's obsessed with Minecraft. And I wrote the book. I edited it. I wanted to get it as good as I could, and then we read it at bedtime. And he said, oh, I get it. These kids are jerks. <laughs> They're probably bullied, and this is how they lash out. And I thought, I get the award for Super Dad of the Month, I decided. Yeah, absolutely. How old was your son? He was, at the time, I guess he was about nine years old, maybe. And so, just for fun, I self-published it on Amazon. I learned about that. And I put it on there thinking it's going to go nowhere because my first four books just left a massive crater in the earth when they hit the ground and flopped. And... It sold 50,000 copies in the first four months over that first Christmas. Wow. And now agents started calling me and publishers started calling me. Wow. And that's a much more fun experience than the first one I experienced. Oh my gosh, total opposite. And so I got a contract to write a bunch of books and I ended up writing 24 Minecraft novels. What? They've been 24 of them. They've been published in 31 countries around the world, which is kind of cool. That's phenomenal. That is, what a story. That's amazing. Yeah. So it, you know, from this terrible thing that happened to him, blossomed this great thing that that came out of it. Yeah. You know what really strikes me is your tenacity. I can imagine after four solid rejections, it would be hard to, you know, go ahead to the next book. Yeah, and and that was seven years of writing or six years of writing for those four books. Wow. And yeah, I I was ready to give up. And then this bullying thing happened. And I thought maybe I can deliver, teach my son this way. Yeah. Because he wasn't getting it by me just using words. It's interesting what we do for our children. I know, right? So I ended up writing full-time for... I guess until a couple of years ago, and now I'm back working part-time with GE, but still writing. Nice. Very nice. What are you going to do when you grow up? (laughs) (laughs) So I, I love writing. I was surprised. I didn't realize I had a passion for writing. And it seems I have a skill for it because kids really like my stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. So tell me about Minecraft. I mean, I think a lot of our audience is very familiar with Minecraft. What is your opinion on Minecraft, given that your son went through this terrible thing on there? Yeah, I, you know, he still plays it. And I think it's a great thing. I think the public servers out there that kids play on is kind of like the Wild West. And because of the anonymity kids have, they say and do terrible things out there. But I think it's great for kids on the spectrum because they can meet friends and they don't have to worry about decoding the the visual social cues mm. because there are no visual social mm-hmm. cues. Mm-hmm. It's all about what's typed on the page. What were the things that you learned going through that? Like your son had made statements like he felt it was his fault initially. Did you go back and look at it and, and see things that he could have done differently? Not necessarily because it was his fault, but because of safety reasons. Well, first of all, the first mistake was he invited the whole internet to come to his server. <laughs> In hindsight, that was probably a gigantic mistake. Yeah, I don't know what that means, though. So is there like a setting on your game? Yeah, so you can set the game so that anybody can join. Or you can have a list of players, and so you only select your friends. Ah. Like, for example, there is a 
Minecraft server for kids on the spectrum. Oh, wow. It's called Otcraft, I think. A-U-T-C-R-A-F-T, maybe something like that. And a dad with a boy who's on the spectrum set this up and somehow or other he figures he has people join the server who are on the spectrum. And so this is a safe place and they don't mess around with people being bullies. So it sounds like too that something that that players can do is block someone who is you know, not the kind of person they want to hang out with. Yeah. But if you don't have a group of friends, you know, I know for kids on the spectrum, they don't necessarily have a lot of friends unless they're in a group or they're in a social skills group right, or something. Yeah. Um, and so you, you need to know what their Minecraft name is oh. to put them on what's called the whitelist so you can allow them uh-huh. to join. Uh-huh. And so we didn't know anything about that at the time. And we didn't know that you can block people by banning them from the server. Uh-huh. We didn't know any of that. Uh-huh. We were just flying by the seat of our pants. Sure. I mean, I don't know any of that. Yeah. What else did you learn? Anything interesting? So it's interesting that there are kids out there that will try to join a Minecraft server just for the purposes of getting access to everything so they can destroy everything. How sad is that? Or they'll come on and they'll curse and make racial epitaphs and say terrible things to see how long it takes to get banned. Oh, which is really strange. And they'll make videos of this and they'll post them on YouTube and they all laugh and think it's funny. Wow. And, and that's just part of the hurtful nature of the internet and social media is when nobody knows your name, you know, there, there's a great line in the invisible man book that the character says, when you don't have to look yourself in the eye, you can do terrible things. Mm. And that's what it's like on the internet and in social media. Right. People are terribly mean and disrespectful because nobody knows who they are. Yeah. So you're not held accountable. So when your son started having anxiety, did it start with that incident or was it sort of a pre-existing thing? No, that was that was later. It started when he was in second grade. And this happened when he was in fourth grade or so, the bullying. Uh-huh. And so his anxiety presented itself as he had a stomach ache and he didn't want to go to school. Uh-huh. And of course, I thought, you know, when I was a kid, that was the dodge I used with my parents. You know, I don't want to go to school. Oh, I got a stomachache. You know, there's no evidence, so you don't have to prove it. It never worked for me. And so we would say, yeah, you're not sick. Go to school. And he'd say, no, I really am. And so he'd grab one of the ear thermometers and check his temperature in his ear. And this was, what, 12 years ago or so. Those things were so inaccurate. Oh, they were horrible. <laughs> that he would do it 10 times until he got 99 degrees. And he'd say, you see, look, I'm sick. <laughs> <laughs> and so we'd send him to school. And at first he would just say, I got an upset stomach. And then he'd get a little more upset. And then he couldn't get on the bus and he'd start to cry. And it just became worse and worse. And our pediatrician said, you know, maybe he has anxiety. You should get him diagnosed. And so we went through that laborious process of all of those interviews and tests. Takes forever to get that happen. Yeah. And sure enough, they said he has generalized anxiety and separation anxiety. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And so we tried therapy. We did everything. We tried meds. 
using meds as an experience because you got to ramp up to find test one, ramp up, you get to the max. Oh crap, it doesn't work. Okay, so now you got to ramp down and six months have gone by and you haven't seen any anxiety. Right, really, because you can't right? get in for, you know, another six weeks each appointment time. Yeah. And then that, then you try another med and you ramp up and maybe it works for a while and then it doesn't work anymore. Right. Right. And then you got to ramp back down and it's very frustrating. Oh, I'm sorry that you had that experience. It's so frustrating. Yeah. So we never found a med really that made it so he could go to school. Uh, uh -huh. And so finally they said, well, we got to go to the next level of med, which is the really strong stuff that is mood altering. Yeah. And we said, yeah, we're not doing that. That's, that's too much. I think that's a reasonable answer. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, if he was harming himself, that's different, of course, right? Of course. There was no self-harming there, so we didn't want to go to that level of severity. So we pulled him out of school, and I quit my job. And when we pulled him out, the anxiety nearly evaporated. Yeah, this is something that my son and I actually have been talking about a lot lately, is the trauma sustained just through being forced to go to school when you're in the kind of grips of anxiety that some kids are. Yeah, I mean, we would take him to school and his panic attacks and his weeping and crying and wailing were just getting worse and worse and worse. It also sounds to me like he's not a particularly difficult kid, is that? No, not at all. Yeah, so those sorts of behaviors for him were probably way outside of the norm. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the psychologist, we had the head of all the mental health services at the district took on our son's case. And she would show up every morning and take him into school and he's crying and screaming for me. And oh, it was just, it was such, I felt like such a failure because I knew I was putting him through this and yet I was doing it every day. Yeah. And what kind of father am I? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so her thought was, we'll just take him in and whether he's crying or not, and every day it's going to get a little better. He'll get used to it. Yeah. He'll get used to it. And he'll, and he'll cry a little less and a little less. And it wasn't happening. And I finally said, no more. We're not going to have a panic attack at school because that is, that can't be helping. Right. Right. And, and the school said, no, well, you got to bring him in. And I said, no, I don't. If he's having a hard time, we're going back home. And that's just the way it is. Wow. And this, I was not popular with that psychologist, but I realized I needed to ignore her PhD and which is intimidating, right? It's very intimidating because, you know, I have a story similar to yours in a lot of ways, except I didn't know that people didn't know what was best, right? Like I trusted the people with the PhDs and the doctorates. Yeah, of course. Because I was young and that's what I thought was best. And we had a very different outcome than you did. Yeah. So I think you did the right thing, you know? I think you really sort of listen to your thought and you followed it. I admire that. I wish we had done it years sooner. Uh. Um, you know, and I think this falls flat with a lot of parents because our solution was pull them out of school and I quit my job. It's pretty significant. That's a pretty life-altering decision. And not everybody can do that. And I was lucky because I wrote those Minecraft books uh -huh. and I had enough revenue coming in that we could do this without losing our house. Yeah. And not everybody can do that. It's true. And the people that can't do that, I don't know what helps other than you have to keep trying something different. 
because doing the same thing over and over again when it's not working isn't beneficial to anyone. Yeah, right. So the reason I bring up your son's anxiety is because that is the topic of your book. The newest book is called Facing the Beast. What a great title. Yep, Facing the Beast Within. So I wrote this because I asked my son like four years ago, I asked him, just out of curiosity, what did it feel like during all of those panic attacks? You know, what, what did it feel like in your head? What did it feel like in your body? You know, he explained the upset stomach and I realized that that was real and I was an idiot and his body was creating that stomach acid in a fight or flight mode to make him sick so he wouldn't have to go to school. Right. That it was totally real and I didn't, I didn't recognize it at first and we did later. But he described this level of hopelessness and dread that was just shocking to me about how he felt and the headaches, the heart palpitations and the tightness in his chest and he's a hard time breathing. And I'm like, holy crap, I didn't know any of this. And so I thought I need to write about this and share it so other kids know they're not alone. Because when we were in the depth of this and we were struggling every day, we were focused on our family, right? We were focused inward and we didn't know anybody having these troubles. And we figured we're the only people dealing with this because we saw no one at the school dealing with it. Mm -hmm. And so we thought we were the only people. And so I wanted to let other people know, both kids and parents, that they're not alone, that other people are struggling with this. That's amazing. You know, I read part of the book and what struck me as really interesting is the way you weave coping skills into the stories in a way that so just flows with the whole thing. It doesn't feel like you're learning anything. Right. I, I didn't want to write an anxiety guide. You know, I don't know how many of those we bought looking for that magic solution. Magic. I right. want the magic. <laughs> it's got to be in one of these books. And God, we wrote, bought so many of those and they were all the same and they were written by a PhD and they were way too technical. And so what I did was I wrote this book and I put in the coping strategies we used with our son. And then at the time I had a literary agent and she shopped it around to publishers and no one was interested in it. I don't know if it was because they didn't like the story or they didn't like that it was about anxiety or maybe they're thinking anxiety makes it a really small market. So it's not going to make a lot of money. Mm. Yeah. Guess what? That's not the case. (laughs) So she couldn't sell it. So I took it back and I rewrote it and I sent it to a group of child psychologists and they read it. And then they added more stuff to it. They taught me all their coping strategies wow. and all the terminologies they use with their patients, all the breathing exercises, their named box breathing and five, seven, eight breathing. And when a kid reads the book, they're going to hear what their therapist is teaching them because the terminologies are the same across all therapists. This is how they're taught to work with kids with anxiety. So it's going to totally reinforce what their therapist is saying to them. Yeah. And in such an innocuous way, you know what I mean? It's not, like I said, it doesn't feel like you're learning at all. It feels like you're just reading a story. Right. So yeah, I tried to be really careful about not being preachy about it and not doing an info dump. Right. Right. Well, you want them to finish the book. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. And and that's something that I've learned over the years that info dumps are incredibly bad. And if you want someone to read your book, you can't do that. Right. And so I've learned how to present information organically without it being just a long page of information. Uh-huh. So give me a quick summary of your newest book. Sure. So this is about Cameron Poole is the main character. And I gave him all of my son's anxiety symptoms. And he's at a summer camp and he's the smallest kid in his grade. He's in sixth grade in this book. So he's the smallest kid and he's a bully magnet and bullying is one of the triggers for his anxiety. He calls it his beast, hence facing the beast within. And while they're there, they find out that demons and monsters from another world are going to invade and him and a strange group of friends are the only ones that can stop them. And so they have to figure out how to stop this invasion and keep everybody safe so their camp and New Orleans is where it's set, doesn't get burnt to the ground again. And so the big challenge for Cameron is he has to face two things. He has to face this demon, but he has to face his own beast as well, his own anxiety. Wow. And so he struggles through the story to learn how to face his anxiety so he can confront this demon and keep everybody safe. So you said he's sixth grade in this book. Does that mean there's a right. sequel? So there's a sequel that I just received from my editor. So I self-published that first, this first one because I couldn't get anybody interested in it. And getting an agent interested in a book right now is really difficult in the publishing industry for reasons I don't understand. Um, but I wrote a second book that continues with Cameron. So I just got it back from my editor. She gave me lots of great comments and I finished rewriting those comments and now I'm going to do another rewrite and another one, and it'll probably come out sometime middle of next year, I think. Wow, that's exciting. You have a you have experience writing a series of books, though. Is that right? Yeah, I like writing series of books, though I've learned in the publishing industry, book three never sells as much as book two, <laughs> People which never sells interest. as much as book one. <laughs> Tell me about your first series. So the first series was the Minecraft series. The first book was called Invasion of the Overworld. And at the time, I thought it would be fun to make my son the star of the book. So I used his Minecraft name, which was Game Night 999. Oh, boy. And so he was the star of the story. And so he, in that book, he gets sucked into Minecraft by some, his father's magical invention. And so now he's in the game and he's got to get out. But in Minecraft, you go around and you battle zombies and giant spiders. And if they hit you too many times, you die. But then you just respawn somewhere. Wow. Well, what happens to him? He's a real person, but he got sucked into the game. So he doesn't know what's going to happen. And he learns there's a big war between the monsters and the characters in Minecraft. And so he feels like he has to help these characters in Minecraft against the zombies and spiders and other creatures. Wow. So what do you do you think that the topic of Minecraft is serves any other purpose besides just being an interesting read? Well, it's an incredible teaching tool and I ended up because of my books working with a lot of teachers on how to use it in the classrooms. Elementary school teachers especially loved using it to teach math or I saw one 
teacher who would have them, instead of writing a book report, they'd build a scene from their book they were reading in Minecraft. Oh, wow. And what I heard them say was the kid would deliver way more information in this construction they made than they would on a one-page book report. Oh, absolutely. And so I thought that was fascinating. I saw somebody build a model of a heart so you could see the different ventricles in the heart. Cool. And um, so it's an incredible tool for teaching. Yeah, I bet. They have something in it called redstone, which is kind of like electrical circuits. And it's great for teaching electrical circuits and logic systems. Um, so it's really an incredible tool. And in fact, the, the company that made Minecraft was called Mojang. And Microsoft bought it for a couple of billion dollars. I don't know how much. <laughs> and they started putting it into schools. They created an educational version. Oh, wow. Because so many teachers wanted to use it in the classroom. Wow. I don't know if they're doing that anymore. I've kind of lost connection there. I would imagine, um, too, that your book, like in the library or whatever, when these kids are choosing a book, can you, I could think of these elementary school kids and, you know, they don't love to read a lot of them. And uh, I imagine your book has a great cover with Minecraft on it and it just grabs their attention. Yeah. I, uh, I've been doing recently author visits to schools. They all have my books and all the librarians know who I am. Wow. Kids want to read about Minecraft and you know, I've been around the longest, so they have my books in there. That's so exciting. Yes. That's kind of cool. So it's fun going to schools and talking to them about, you know, I tell them this story about all the failures I had to endure before I saw any success. I think that's a phenomenal part of your story. Yeah. And and they really like hearing it. And, you know, I hear feedback that seeing somebody who actually persevered and was successful mm -hmm. is a powerful story to a kid. Yeah, it's true. Especially, I feel like there are certain things that we cement in our brains when we're growing up, right? And those kinds of things, they click sometimes. I realized with the success of that first book that I had a megaphone here that I could use to talk to kids. And so, well, I'm going to have everyone is going to teach a lesson. So the next one was about facing your fears. Next one was about facing anxiety. The next one was about sibling relationships. Uh, every one of them had some kind of theme that was something that kids were struggling with. Wow. And so I wanted it to be a teaching tool for a parent who's reading it to their child, as well as an entertaining thing for a kid. I find the whole thing phenomenal from the concept to the, you know, the way it, it works out in kids' lives. It teaches them to read, which is, you know, what reading does, but it also teaches all these other things. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. But it's funny that I would get emails from parents saying, thank you for these. I can finally get my kid to turn off the computer and stop playing Minecraft wow. and read a book. And kids are reading about Minecraft, so they feel like they're still playing the game. But the computer's turned off. And so, and what's interesting is I hardly sold any ebooks hmm. because parents didn't want them on a device, right? Exactly. So the ebooks hardly sold at all. It's funny how ebooks, you know, right? Like 20 years ago, it was like everybody, their books were not going to exist anymore. And I was like, yeah. oh no, I need to hold a book. <laughs> I know, right? But books, there's yep. something magical about hand, yeah. hard, you know, copy books. I don't know. Yep. So so those were those were fun to write, but they weren't as serious of a thing as this current book. 
because this current book, Facing the Beast Within, really focuses on anxiety. And you really, as you read it, I think you really feel what it's like from the Cameron's point of view mm. of what it's like to struggle with this and what's going on in his head. Yeah, that's awesome because I think you're right. I think just like you said, when you were following the counselor's advice and making your kid go to school, like you didn't have a clue. And I think a lot of parents out there, they just don't have a clue either. So yeah. And for, for no fault of their own. No, of course you don't know what you don't know. And you wish everybody had an advocate who had been through this before sitting with them at the IEP meeting. Absolutely. But those are so intimidating with the classroom teachers and the social worker and the psychologist. Oh, IEP meetings? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're just disgusting. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sorry. I don't mean to be anti-educator. I appreciate all you educators out there. I just, I'm thinking back to the horror of my own experience. Yeah. And so. and it's hard because school isn't designed for kids on the spectrum. No. They don't have the manpower to help kids like my son. I mean, the school system that they developed yeah, way but, back when is not, you know, our society is so different. I don't know how you feel, but I think the entire school system in the U.S. has to be revamped. Yeah. But how are you going to tear that down and retrain all the teachers that have been teaching for 10 or 15 years. and They're going to have no choice. I mean, you see how everybody's leaving teaching yeah. and there's... Yeah, well, but but they're leaving for other reasons. But yeah, it's it's hard to imagine. I, I, I can't imagine how they can restructure education yeah. to meet the needs yeah. of all well, kids. Yeah, well, right. That's the... That is... That's an interesting That's a daunting thing. task. Like, in the past... Kids were kids and you just took what you got, right? <laughs> now it's all about individual education yeah. plans and things. So, yeah, you're right. Yeah, because you want to, you know, I remember I had this guy in school who happened to be my neighbor and he was the troublemaker in school. And he didn't work in a standard classroom. And the high school I went to, Sonora High School in California, was like this experimental building that was built in the 70s with no walls, first of all. <laughs> it's gonna, Everything's going to be open. And that didn't last long because there were walls when I got there. But they had a thing they called the alternative school. And that was a different way. They taught it through projects, not through lectures and book assignments and tests. And this boy got into there. And he just thrived and he graduated when you would have thought he never was going to graduate. And people stopped, the teachers stopped hating him because he was always causing trouble in class because now he was engaged and it worked for him. Yeah. I love those kind of success stories. Yeah. There aren't a lot of those. So you sort of told me you had something for the readers. Oh, so while I was writing these Minecraft books, So I did some research on literacy rates with kids and found that when kids hit about fifth grade, boys stop reading and girls continue to read, but boys are playing computer games and doing sports. And so when you look at the young adult market, like the Hunger Games is a famous, you know, young adult book. The main character is a girl. And they were great books. They were. But in the young adult genre most of the main characters are girls because girls are the ones who continued to read through elementary school and middle school and boys I did not know that that makes total sense and so 
you know, I've had a lot of fifth and sixth graders say, why don't they write more books with boys as the lead character? You know, and well, because if you want to sell books, you can't. And so I knew that boys were stomping to read. And so I wrote two books that were these short, I wouldn't say they're terribly short. They're probably 60, 70 pages long. That's short for me. <laughs> My editor used to say I'm brevity impaired because they always <laughs> wanted short books and I always give them much longer than they wanted. But um, these were two books that are free to download and I'll provide the download link to you so you can put them in the show notes. But these are books that have been really effective at getting kids, especially boys who are reluctant readers to read because it's about Minecraft and they're fun, immersive action adventure stories that will keep them turning the page. And they've been really successful at getting kids to read. Wow. That's really generous. Thank you so much. Yeah. So I hope people get them and whatever we can do to get kids to read. So if people are interested in, in learning more about your books, buying your books, where, where do you hang out? Do you have a social media presence or anything? So you can go to my website, MarkSheverton.com, and that's C-H-E-V-E-R-T-O-N, MarkSheverton.com. And you can see all the information of my books, and you can click on them, and it'll take you to a link on Amazon. If you search for me on Amazon, I'm not hard to find because there's probably 80 books there with my name because it's my books in the U.S., but then all the foreign language books are there as well. Oh. <laughs> so it's pretty easy to find me on Amazon. Wow. And so you can see them there, but I bet they're, they're not really in bookstores as much anymore. Minecraft books don't sell, at least in my area, mm. as well in bookstores as graphic novels do. And there's quite a few Minecraft graphic novels out there. And so those are tending to sell uh, yeah, better in bookstores around thing. me. But that's maybe a regional thing. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But you can put my name in Google and you will come up with 100 websites that are selling my books and they're easy to find. Excellent. How's it feel to be famous? I don't know. It's, it's, I don't know that how famous I am. I mean, I'm famous among 10-year-olds. So <laughs> I don't know how much of an ego boost that is. But I don't know. I never got into it to be famous. And so I know. So it's just a secondary. I, I have people I work with and they'll say, you're a New York Times bestseller. <laughs> you sold 2 million books. What? I, I'd wear a shirt that says that everywhere. And I go, yeah. All you know. starting from a self-published yeah. book. Yeah. Amazing. I, I'm not somebody who likes to brag. And so. Nah, you're amazing. I'll give you some kudos, Mark. People are pretty surprised, especially at work when I'm working with these brilliant physicists from lots of different countries around the world. And they're like, what? You wrote books for kids? <laughs> kind of makes their head spin around a little bit. Oh, that's funny. Tell me quick before you go, how's your son doing now? He is doing incredible. He, uh, we taught him when he went into college, the secret is go to class, read the book and do the homework. And he just sucked that up like it was mother's milk. And he does that with every class and he gets A's and everything. And he's just killing it. And all the professors love him. So we can't be more pleased. And he's doing okay socially? Um, well, he doesn't have a lot of friends. He talks to people. You know, he, there's people at school he interacts with. But he really only has one friend that was his friend from back in fourth grade when he was doing Minecraft. That's really wow. his only real close friend. But yeah. You know, for some kids, it's tough. 
Yeah, but it does sound like, I mean, the fact that, you know, the kid who was crying every day and having panic attacks to go to school and now is in college and doing well, it's it's a pretty amazing story as well. But let me tell you, that first day of college was nerve wracking. Oh, I'm sure. We didn't know what was going to happen. And uh, my wife works at the school, so we get free tuition. Yay for us. Thank God. That's amazing. (laughs) And she drove him in and he just walked off and went to class. Wow. And that's a long, that's a long journey to get to that from one place to the next. I know. Right. And so we can't be prouder of him. And so he's been doing great. Excellent. I'm so glad to hear that. Well, thanks again for coming on. I appreciate it. This was fun. I hope parents out there learn about my book and go look at it because it's going to help with anxiety with their kid. It's going to, the kids are going to see the anxiety coping strategies put to into effect and parents are going to have the opportunity. I think the, the big benefit with the book is when my son would have these terrible panic attacks, I'd always look at it as a teaching opportunity afterwards so we could talk about it, right? Yeah, I love that. But he would just shut down. He didn't want to relive it. He felt like a failure. He wanted to go to school and be like the other kids, and he can't. And so we'd try to talk with him about it, and he would just shut down and not say anything. Well, now, if I had had this book at the time, we could have talked about what happened to Cameron in the book, in the scene when he had to go into the spooky cave, but his anxiety wouldn't let him. And so he refused and he let down his friends. And you know, now you can talk about that. And yeah. that becomes the teachable moment, but it's not threatening to the child. Yeah. And I think that's going to be a huge benefit to parents. Excellent. Mark Sheverton Facing the Beast Within. Looks like Amazon is your main place to get yep. it. Or you can check out Mark's website with a direct link marksheverton.com. Thanks again. Have a wonderful day. You're welcome. You too. Thanks so much for hanging out with me today. I hope you know that I appreciate you spending your time here because I know there's a lot of other places that you could be. Quick shout out to my editor extraordinaire and co-producer Sam Eisenbaum. If you found value in this podcast, it would mean so much to me if you could just rate and review it on your podcast platform. Now get out there, keep learning and growing so that you can be the best version of yourself as you support the people you love. That's what this podcast is all about.